still see your face. You spoke, pouring your words of seated. If you haven't done so already, take out your cell phones. Uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we're doing a new series on life-changing apps, and I've been having you take your cell phones out, and which is just the opposite of what most of the time happens in church, but take it out, make sure it's on uh, vibrate or mute or whatever your control is, and then open up your app for Facebook, if you have a Facebook app, and I want you to sign in. Uh, we've been doing this now for three weeks. Last week, I'm real proud, I saw probably almost 100 of our church members in both services signed in, add a, uh, a verse on there if you, if you dare, if you want to do a little more and sign in. If you want to do even a little more, you can uh, sign in somebody with you. Say that you're tagging them next to you uh, so that you can be with them. And you say, why are you doing this? Uh, to try to use the social medias in a positive outlet. If it, we had 100 people that signed in last week, that means if you had 300 friends each, that uh, you know we have 3,000 or 30,000 people possibly or more that could see uh, First Baptist Church of Blowing Rock. And maybe somebody's struggling and they go through Facebook this afternoon and they're looking and they find your name and the verse you put there and, and it speaks to them. God moves in incredible ways. It's amazing. Uh, what we're trying to do is redeem some of these social Social networking sites. You know, it's amazing. Uh, one of the results of having uh, all of this social networking is that now you can follow uh, almost anybody at almost any time, almost anywhere. It's this crazy phenomenon of following people. Uh, you can follow people on Facebook. You can follow people on Twitter. You can follow people on Instagram. Uh, they've got a whole site. I hadn't been on it because uh, I don't want to get addicted, that Pinterest or whatever, uh, where you can pin some hobby on there and everybody follows it or a recipe and everybody wants to follow that. Uh, you can follow celebrities. You can follow politicians. You can follow your next-door neighbor. You can follow your ex-boyfriend. Uh, you can follow everybody. It's incredible the amount of knowledge. You know, I know more about some of the people I'm following than I knew about my wife when we got married. I mean, it, it's amazing the, the stuff that we put out on these social networking. I, I mean, you can learn things about people, and uh, I use it. And you say, well, Pastor, why are you on it? I like to pray for people, and I, I love praying for people, and I see people putting things, and, and I pray for them when they're going through difficult times. But I, I always, when I see it, uh, especially young people, I always think, you know, this stuff doesn't go away, some of this stuff you're posting. Some of it is way too much information, uh, and it's going to be there forever. I mean, I can't imagine 
30 years from now, uh, you having to explain to your kids or your grandkids the post that you put. I mean, I can see come some kids saying, look, Daddy, it's Grandma. She's twerking on Facebook, you know. And, and, and I thought, I, I just don't want to be there. I'm glad it wasn't around when I was a kid because of the, how, what I'd have to be dealing with now. You know, one of my friends uh, wanted to create an app because, you know, the Bible says, Jesus says in, in uh, Luke chapter 14, anyone that wants to follow me must take up his cross and walk the path that I've walked. Uh, follow me. And so one of my buddies said, you know, we ought to put together an app to follow Jesus. Since Jesus was the original follow me uh, person, we ought to put together an app that, you know, that you had the what would Jesus do phenomenon that was going on. And uh, he said, we ought to put an app together that, you know, you could go to it and you could open it and you could, any situation, any circumstance that you're facing or that you're dealing with, you could type it in and you could ask the question to the app and it would give you an answer about what would Jesus do. And I thought, that's a great idea. You know, that probably, uh, people would love to have that kind of tool. And my friend thought about it and thought about it, came back to me and said, you know, uh, I was thinking about it and it would probably never sell. I said, why do you think it would never sell? He said, because everybody in their home already has that app. And it's the number one best-selling book in all of history. And it has more than just what would Jesus do. It tells us exactly what Jesus did. And you see, as Jesus calls us to follow him, as Jesus calls us to walk as he walked, the question for us this morning is not how many followers do you have. The question is not how many people you follow. The question is, are you following the only person in history that can really change your life forever? See, that's at the heart of this morning's message. Are you following the Savior of the world? Are you following Jesus as he commands us to follow him? So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn and look at 1 John. If you have a blue sheet, you can follow on there. It's on there, the passages we've given. We're in this new series, Life-Changing Apps. We're taking applications from 1 John, which are pretty clear, and looking at them to apply them to our lives. And this morning, John is going to get to the heart of that idea. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow uh, him and to walk as Jesus walked? Because you hear so many sermons, so many Bible studies that deal with that issue. And so this morning, John's going to lay it out. Now, let me give you a little context to make sure you remember. When John writes the letter of 1 John, he's an old man. He's in Ephesus. Uh, he has seen Christianity over the last 55 to 60 years grow and change and begin to expand. And as it's expanded... False teachers have come in, heresies have come up, people have taken the Gospels and the Word of Jesus Christ and they've adapted it and adopted it, and not in a good way. And it's affecting all of the churches. And there are heresies and, and uh, uh, false doctrines, false cults like the Gnostics, and we've talked about them a couple of weeks ago, that have arisen. And so John is alive to see all of this, and the early church is in turmoil because of it. They're facing persecution. From the, from the Romans, they're facing difficulties, but they're also facing this false teaching. And so John wants to explain what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not what everybody else is saying, not what everybody else is thinking. He, as a first-hand witness that was there and walked with Jesus, wants to explain to you and I what the gospel of John and the rest of the gospels really mean in an everyday life. And so he writes this letter, and this letter is revolutionary in that it is so direct and so point-blank to the questions that you and I have. Now, 
If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I also want you to remember the context of where John writes this letter because as he writes this letter, uh, he's going to expand on the discussion that he's already had. Now, we found out a couple of weeks ago that all of us that are in a relationship with Christ, and this is written to Christians, it's written to followers of Jesus Christ, all of us that are, have a relationship with Jesus Christ are in fellowship with God. We were created to have an intimate relationship with God. And we talked about that word intimate. It means nothing hidden. Uh, but sin after we become Christians, sin that we allow into our lives becomes a barrier to that intimacy between us and God. And because of that barrier, we uh, can lose fellowship with God. And when we lose fellowship with God, John says, he calls it walking in the light, we lose fellowship with those around us. You see, if we're not right with God, we're not going to be right with our spouse. We're not going to be right with our kids. We're not going to be right with our coworkers. It all connects He also related last week that not only are we created to have an intimate relationship to God, but we're created to have an intimate relationship with those around us, to be in community. That's where we get the word communion, fellowship. We were created to be with other Christ followers on this journey that he calls Christianity. And in that relationship, in that community, if we are out of fellowship with our fellow believers... If we are not right with our fellow believers, then that affects our fellowship with God. You see, they are interdependent. Now, that doesn't mean that you can come to church and and have a relationship with God just because you come to church. But what it means is, is that when you're not right with God, you're not right with those around you in the church. And when you're not right with those in the church, you're not right with God. They connect, and they both have a lot to do with how much joy you and I have and how much you and I get to experience the abundant life. I told you last week, and I said this before, that Christian walk is not about a destination. It's about the journey. It's not about trying to get somewhere. It's about enjoying the process of becoming more like Christ. And in enjoying that, part of that is spending time with other believers. And that is those that sit around you in this room, those outside of this place that call themselves the body of Christ. And so John builds all of that up to get us to the passage where we are today. He builds all of it up to help us understand where we're going as he unpacks this. So I want you to look with me, and I'm going to read it. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And remember, he's following the same line of thought. For we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. For the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Listen, John is a slap-you-in-the-face kind of writer. Okay, he just basically says, you can say something, but if it's not true, you're a liar. He doesn't play around, he doesn't beat around the bushes, and here he says it again. For the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete. Some of your translations say perfected in him. For this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. There's that uh, WWJD. What would Jesus do? To walk as Jesus walked. Now in this passage, John introduces one of his most famous phrases, uh, favorite phrases from his book. To know. The idea of knowing God. Matter of fact, he uses it 40 times in the book of 1 John. He uses it over 60 times in his gospel. And John says, listen, there's a bunch of people in this community who claim to know Jesus, but they're a liar. So how do you tell the difference? Well, John uses a play on words here with this idea of knowing something. You see, a lot of us, when we say we know something, it is talking about this intellectual ascent that that I know about something. 
And so John uses the tense form in the Greek to, to kind of play words. Remember the, the Gnostics, who are the main heretical group that John has to deal with, their, their whole name, Gnosticism, comes from the word to know. So they claim to know. And so John says, you think you know something, but you don't really know. You know about, but you don't really know in that you haven't experienced it. You see, the word he uses here is, he, is, is intimate experience. Remember when you were a little kid in vacation Bible school and you were teaching through the book of Genesis and you came to that passage where it said Adam knew Eve and, uh, you know, everybody kind of looked around and nobody wanted to say anything about what that Adam knowing Eve was about? Well, that knowing Eve uh, was intimacy. They knew one another and it's the same Greek translation of the Hebrew word that John is saying here. He said, listen, there's a whole lot of people walking around to claim to know about Jesus but they don't really know Jesus if they're not obeying his word. See, there's a lot of you in here that know about people, but you don't know them intimately. And there's a big difference in the body of Christ between knowing about Jesus. See, you can tell all the stories, you can quote all the scripture, you, you can claim to know everything about it. But the only way you can tell whether or not that's the truth is whether or not you're actually seeing what Jesus says lived out in your life. See, he's saying the key to knowing whether somebody knows Jesus is to watch them. Have they had a life-changing experience? Because you see, when you encounter Jesus Christ, it changes everything. People used to tell me, well, I know people that are Christians and they never change. Well, I, I firmly believe they're not a Christian and I'm not here to judge anybody. I believe in the grace of God. But I'm telling you, when you encounter Jesus Christ, it changes you. It changes your attitude about Him. It changes your attitude about God's Word. It changes a lot of things. Now, we all may not have a Saul-Paul experience. But when you encounter Jesus, when you really know Him intimately and begin... You see, the Bible stops being just cute sayings and phrases and, and stories and rules. And it starts being a love letter. All of a sudden, it starts coming alive. And that's what John is saying. How do you know that you know him? All of a sudden, you see a difference become in your life. All of a sudden, you see a change start taking place. All of a sudden, uh, these words start coming alive. Now, what does he say in verse 5? It's, it's kind of the key here for us. He says, when we walk in obedience, when we're walking with God, God's love is made complete in us. How do we know that we know Jesus? Because he says, the love that God has put in you all of a sudden starts getting deeper, starts getting mature. You know, those of you that remember back to your teen years, you remember the difference between being infatuated with somebody and being in love with somebody. And there is a difference, and there's nothing wrong with infatuation. You know, I used to hate it when my parents would tell me, you're just infatuated with them. No, I'm not. I'm in love, right? Uh, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with being infatuated. We just need to recognize that they are different. Infatuation is an immature love based on selfishness, okay? That's why infatuation is all about me, how you can help me, how you can do something for me. Love, maturing love, is about selflessness, Infatuation is based on emotion. It's all based on feeling. Love, real love, is based on choice. It's based on making a conscious decision to love somebody. And you see, what John is trying to say is that when we begin to love Jesus Christ the way he loved us, all of a sudden that love begins to grow. It's, it's more than just liking the idea of Jesus or liking the idea of religion or liking the idea of coming to church. See, there's a lot of people that like coming to church because it gives them a feeling. 
security and comfort and the stained glass and the songs and the old smell of a church. It just gives them that security. See, there's a difference between that love and an intimate love with Jesus Christ that changes your thoughts, that changes your attitude, that changes your actions. Now, how can you tell the difference? Well, John gives it to us right there in verse 6. Gives us the answer. It's not real complicated. He says, those that really have this perfected, this maturing love will walk as Jesus walked. And you see, that's the application for today. How do you know that you know him? You'll walk as Jesus walked. Well, what does that mean? I mean, when you think about that, you can get all kinds of answers, all kinds of explanations. Matter of fact, one commentary on this, as I begin to read, what does it mean to walk as Jesus walked, listed 52 different things that we could do that Jesus does as we walk. I mean, you could go off and get lost in the weeds, talking about all the ways that we could walk as Jesus walked. But I don't think it's that complicated. I told you before that when you're reading a passage of Scripture, the best way to get the interpretation of the passage is to stay with the Scripture. Let the Scripture interpret the Scripture. And John is about to explain what it means to walk as Jesus walked. But this idea is so simple, the answer is so easy, he's afraid we're going to miss it. So before he explains to you and I what it is to walk as Jesus walked, he gives us a little preface in verse 7 and 8. So listen to what he says, but understand he's about to give us something real simple, but real complicated. And what he means by that is there's going to come a moment where all of a sudden you begin to catch on and understand. This is what Jesus means when he says, follow me. So look what John says in verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command. Remember, he's, he's in the middle of teaching, all of a sudden he breaks. He says, listen, let me explain something. I'm not about to give you something brand new. This is something you know. He says, you have heard it from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yes, I'm writing you a new command whose truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, what does that mean? Listen to how the Message Bible explains it. Dear friends, I'm not giving you anything new. This is the oldest commandment in the book. You've known it from day one. It's always been implicit in the message you've heard. But on the other hand... Perhaps it is new, freshly minted, as it is in both Christ and you. For the darkness is leaving, and the light is coming where? You know know what John's saying? Let me give this in, in rusty East Texas translation. He's saying, this is not rocket science. You know this. But yet, as you discover this truth, guess what's going to happen? There is going to be an aha moment where you see that you really didn't know it. You thought you knew it. You thought you understood it. But you really didn't. And all of a sudden, as we read what he's about to say, you're going to get it. Have you ever had one of those moments where you read something four or five times and you thought, I I know I understand this, but then when you read it one more time, all of a sudden something comes, a light comes on. You see, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit's about to to rock you because he's going to show you the truth of what it means to walk as Jesus walked. So what does it mean? Well, here's the app. Look what he's saying, verse 9. For anyone who claims to be in the light, there he goes, he uses that light again, the principle of walking in the light, but hates his brother is still in the darkness. For whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. So what's the app for walking as Jesus walked? Well, unfortunately for many of us, it's the road less traveled. 
It's not something new. Jesus said it in John chapter 15. He says, I don't give you a new command. Here is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. He tells us in Matthew and Mark and Luke, when asked, when confronted with what is the greatest command, you remember he takes the Ten Commandments and boils them down into two? Takes the first five and says the greatest command is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. But right behind it, Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what does it mean to walk as Jesus walked? It's pretty simple. We're called to love others. We're called to sacrificially love one another. We're called to love one another in ways that only Jesus can give us that love. And you say, well, that's simple. What was so hard about that? Well, here comes the aha moment. You see, John is not just talking about loving our neighbor here. Did you hear what he said? And and this is important to John. This isn't something new. Listen to what John says later on in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one who has ever seen God... But if we love one another, God's love is in us, and his love is made complete in us. He goes on in chapter 4, verse 20, and listen to this. For if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, he uses the same passage that he uses here in chapter 2, hate. See, remember the context? The church is fighting. They're arguing. They're having dissension. John says, I got an app for that. Love. You see, what John does that makes this so complex is he says, we're not talking about loving our neighbor. We're talking about loving our brothers and sisters. You see, what he wants us to understand is what it means to walk as Jesus walked. Remember, as we talk in community, we talk in the body of Christ, our first responsibility behind loving God, behind loving our family, is to love those that call the name of Jesus Christ, our brothers and sisters in this room. You see, what John wants us to understand is that as we love, it's more than just saying you love someone. It is demonstrating that you love someone. Anybody can say they love somebody. Anybody can walk around and say, oh, I love him, and I love him, and I love him. That's not what John's talking about. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just walk through Galilee and towards Jerusalem saying, you know, I just love people. I love people. What did he do? He got down on his hands and his knees, and he demonstrated love. So what John is saying to us is the application for walking as Jesus walked is to demonstrate a sacrificial love for who? For others in the church. You see, it starts here with the person sitting beside you, with the person sitting in front of you, with the people that you worship with, with the people outside this room that call the name Jesus Christ, that we are called first to love here. And not just with our words, but with our actions. Now, some of you say, well, I got you, Rusty. I love the people around me. You know, and, and I don't hate anybody. Well, he's not using the term hate in a malicious term. He's comparing hate to the absence of love. See, what John is saying is if you say you love your brother, but you don't show it, you don't demonstrate it, you might as well hate him. Let that sink in. Light bulbs. Aha. You see, we need to understand that there is a lost and confused and dying world all around us that we can't show love to unless we start showing love to one another. 
Not just talking about it, not just singing about it, not just holding hands and acting like everything's okay until we start tangibly showing one another that we love each other through our actions. See, that's the truth that John's wanting to get at. That's the truth that John's wanting to help us understand. I know some of you in here are going to say, wait, pastor, wait a minute. You know, there are some people I just can't get along with. I mean, right, there are some people we just disagree. We, we don't see eye to eye. We have different viewpoints. And, and we're even in the church. And, and matter of fact, Pastor, there are some people I just don't like. And I understand that. And I looked. Is there an exception here, John? Can I love everybody that, except those two or three people that I really don't like? That person that's mean to me? person that stabs me in the back the person that gives me hateful glances the person that every time i say something they go off against it there's no exception matter of fact it's just the opposite see what john's wanting us to understand is that when we really begin to have maturing perfecting love we will love those that disagree with us even more than we do with those that do. See, Jesus didn't just love the people that liked him. He didn't just love the people that followed him, the people that dressed like him, the people that were from Galilee. He loved those that hated him. On the night that Judas betrayed him, he gave him love. Let me ask you this. That person that you don't like, and everybody has somebody. We're a church. I talked last week about how hurting churches hurt each other. We're a a church full of people that hurt. All of us hurt or we wouldn't be at church looking for God to heal us. I mean, our whole purpose is to become whole in Jesus Christ. But what happens is when you get a room full or a group full or a body full of people that hurt, there is always a tendency because I'm hurting, I want you to share my hurt. So I may reach out and say something or do something that's going to hurt you. I didn't do it maliciously or intentionally, but I may do it. And somebody's hurt you. Somebody's upset you. Somebody's angered you. Somebody's done something, maybe even wronged you. Let me ask you, when is the last time you consciously made an effort to demonstrate to them how much you love them? You say, that's hard. No, that's what he's saying is maturing, perfecting love. See, because what happens is those are the very people that need to see it and feel it. Because when you begin to love even those that you disagree with, sacrificially, it'll change your heart and it'll change theirs. And you know what happens? It changes the church. John gives us a warning. John gives us a warning that if we can't apply this app, if we struggle with this app, there's a danger. Look what he says in verse 11 at the end. I'm almost done. But whoever hates, and let's change that hate to whoever doesn't show love. Whoever doesn't show love to his brother, to his sister, to his fellow church member. Whoever doesn't show love is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. Remember, light and darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. See, what John's saying is not only are we called to love one another and show it, but when we don't, we become blinded to God and to His will. 
And listen to me, church. I I can't tell you how many believers in the church, how many churches I've seen miss God's blessings, miss God's will, miss God's plan and God's protection because they had a love problem with somebody else in the church. You see, when it's amazing. People tell me, well, how can somebody be so angry and so mad and, and God is moving around them and God is working and they don't see it because they have a love issue. Because you see, when you are not showing love, when you are not giving of yourself to those around you in the body of Christ, you become spiritually blinded and you can't see it. Reminds me when I was a youth pastor, and uh, I, I was always amazed at parents that uh, I would have a youth do something, and I would have it on video of a youth doing something wrong, and I would bring the parents in, and I would get the video, and we would sit down, and I would say, okay, now here, I want you to see, this is what they did, and the kid's saying, I didn't do that, that's not me, and I'm like, it's you, you got the same shirt on, we got a close-up of your face, and the parents are, I, we can't be sure, can we? I'm like, can't you see it? You're blinded. And what John is warning is that you and I, if we can't get to the place of loving one another in the body of Christ, then we will be in spiritual darkness. And you're going to miss God's plan for your life. You're going to miss God's direction for your life. You're going to miss His future that He has for you. See, we are called. We are commanded. We are committed to loving one another. We can't demonstrate that kind of love one to another. How will we ever do it outside of these walls? We are one in Christ. One in spirit, one in body, one in love. Had a former pastor that used to call it mashed potato love. Said if we just had more mashed potato love in the church, God would begin to use us. I said, mashed potato love. You've got to understand, I'm talking deep south. This was a pastor that was from Mississippi. So mashed potatoes meant something. Uh, they mean something here. But mashed potatoes, uh, that's a meal. That's the centerpiece of the meal. And he said, we just need mashed potato love. He said, you know, when you go get baked potatoes, when you go get potatoes, you go out to a field and all the potatoes sit there individually. They all sit there on their own. And you get those potatoes from over here and from over here and from over there. Different backgrounds, growing different areas. And you get them all and you pull them up out of the dirt and you stick them in a big bag. Yes, they're together in that big bag, but they're still individual potatoes. And then they take them back and they go to a processing plant with this big bag of potatoes and they dump them on the conveyor belt and they wash them off and they clean them and they get them looking great. And then they take them and they put them in little bags. And even though they're clean and even though they're together, they're still individually there in those little bags. Then you or I go to the grocery store and we buy one of those little bags of potatoes and we take it home. We pull it out and we start peeling them. We wash them again. Now the skin's been removed so the barriers keeping them apart are gone but they're still individual potatoes. So they don't become mashed potatoes until what? You turn on the stove, add a little heat, start squashing, start mashing. And as you mash, and if you're in the south, you add a little cream, you add a little butter, add a little TLC, a little extra stuff, you start mashing. All of a sudden what happens? They're no longer individual potatoes. You don't know where one potato starts and one potato stops. Why? Because they become one. And you don't know what it is except you know it's good. Right? See, John's saying that's the church. So can you explain it? I can explain it the way Jesus did.
love one another the way He loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. God, let us learn to apply this truth to our lives. Father, let us seek Your heart and seek Your Spirit. God, let us be demonstrational in our love to one another. I know we come and we say we love somebody and we may even say we want to pray for you. Father, let's stop praying for and start praying with. Father, every one of us in this room has needs, maybe even needs that other people in this room can meet. Maybe little things that we notice in somebody's life. And Father, I pray that this week that each one of us through your Holy Spirit's leading, we'll find a way to demonstrate to somebody else in the body of Christ how much we love them. And it may be even that person that frowns at us or that doesn't like us. But God, we're not called to be pickers and choosers. We're called to love the way you loved us. And Father, you loved me when I was in the pig pen and in the pit, covered in mess, covered in junk, turning my back on you. You still loved me. And I've got to learn to have that kind of love for the body because when we get that kind of love for one another, it can't be silenced. It pours out of these walls and it pours out on those around us. God, we love you. In your name, amen. We're going to close with a song. Here's my prayer for you. I believe there is somebody you're supposed to love this week. Not just write down, I'm going to love them. That you're supposed to pray about how you're supposed to show them you love them. It may be somebody close, family, friends, small group member. It may be somebody you don't even know that you see in here every week. You just know their name. But you're supposed to do something for them this week. Not just tell them you love them, you're supposed to show them you love them. I don't know what that looks like. I wish I could tell you, I wish I could give you a list, but you'll know if you listen to the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens when you do it? Bonus. You know what happens when you do it? All of a sudden that love, that little love that you're learning to have for Jesus, all of a sudden gets a little more mature, a little more perfect, a little more deep, and you want to do it again, and you want to do it again. Let that be your heart. Stand and join us as we worship. Which voice is with me? Finding myself. Finding myself at lost words and the funny thing. thing I need is to be heard, but to hear what you would say, word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty.